0: You know what? I could take this darn book and put it on one page. And on that one page, there is one word that's your golden ticket to leadership success it's trust.
1: Welcome to the FI show, where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
2: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But before we dig into today's episode, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What's up,
1: man? Hey, man. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a mix of doing some of those last things up here in the Northeast that we want to do before we leave town, as well as actually trying to be productive and packing up some things. So for those who haven't heard, I'm going to be moving from Boston, Massachusetts, down to Austin, Texas. So this last weekend, we actually got a, a really cool opportunity to spend the weekend down in Cape Cod. I had a friend who actually had this permit where you could drive your vehicle out on to like a, a beach. And so social distancing was not a problem because they only allowed like a few trucks in this one section. So it was really based on the number of cars, not the number of people. So people were extremely spread out because there was really not that many out there. So that was a ton of fun. And then on top of that, like I said, trying to actually be productive. We're moving to a much smaller place. So we're we're selling a ton of furniture. Now, luckily, I got most of this furniture for free. So we're taking the money that we're getting from that and we can invest that in cool new like space saving type furniture things for the new apartment. And as a bonus, I'm actually selling most of this furniture to my landlord. So I don't even have to go through all the hoops and stuff of dealing with people on Facebook Marketplace, which I've still been doing plenty of with all the other random crap I'm selling. So but enough about me, Cody, what's going on with you, man?
2: Well, first of all, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever that you're selling your furniture back to your landlord. That is the most hardcore Justin move I've heard in a while. But yeah, I had a pretty fun weekend this past weekend. As you can probably hear, my voice is a little hoarse because I was kind of partying it up on Saturday and Sunday. Actually, earlier in the summer, we had built this like pontoon raft. It's basically a pontoon boat, but instead of a boat with a steering column and an engine, we just put a bunch of 2x12s, covered it in like the indoor-outdoor turf stuff, put a little slide on it, and just basically hanging out on that thing for about six hours yesterday. So that's why my voice sounds so hoarse because I was just having a good time, having some drinks, sliding down the slide. But yeah, that's enough about me and you, Justin. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a quick moment for our sponsor. All right, Five Show listeners slash real estate investors. Have you ever given the door code out to one of your properties? Or maybe you left a key under the mat for a delivery person. Did you feel nervous about it? If yes, you have to go check out Igloo Home. That's Igloo, as in what Eskimos live in, then home. If you own a property and are a business owner like me, your biggest limitation is that you can't be in two places at once. And no matter how you choose to let someone in you always seem to be trading off security for accessibility now you don't have to with igloo home's remote access smart lock you decide who has access and when set a one-time pin so people can stop by while you're out your igloo home app will keep a log of every time a pin is used so you can relax knowing your home or office is still secure so if you're a property owner who is curious about how this thing works, you should definitely go check out the Igloo Home website. Igloo Home has products to fit every property. There's a smart deadbolt, a key box, a padlock, and more. There's a ton of stuff on there. And as listeners of The Fi Show, you'll get a 15% discount off your smart lock if you order with promo code Show on www.igloohome.co. That's www.igloohome.co with promo code Show.
1: Today we have Steve Iacovelli on the show and he's got this really cool story where he starts out actually on a Disney cruise working as a normal employee, starts hatching up this idea with a fellow employee about doing these leadership courses, which springs into kind of this really large business, Top Dog Learning, where he specializes in helping people learn about leadership and doing it in a way that is empathetic and that is inclusive because he's a big time voice in the LGBTQ community so we're really lucky to have somebody on with his unique background and skill set. But not to steal all of Steve's thunder. Take it away, Steve.
0: Really awesomely ironic that you're asking this, Cody, because the situation that happened, I'm in the midst of them becoming a client of mine now 30 plus years later, which is just so serendipitous. It was actually when I was an undergraduate in my fraternity. You went to a small state school in Pennsylvania, and it was great because I could be a big fish in a little pond, and I ended up being the president of my fraternity and a couple other organizations. And I just remember realizing that my my extracurricular experience was the best leadership boot camp, if you will, than anything I could have learned in like my my business classes or any of the other stuff that I did. So it was really those great opportunities. And they were small, they weren't super risky. I could totally f- hose it and fail. And, and it really helped me uh, understand kind of the basis for what really effective leadership is kind of on this side of that journey.
1: A lot of people get exposed to some form of leadership, whether it's some kind of club growing up, you know, whether it's It could be something like Boy Scouts. It could be something like a a debate team. It could be sports. Then all the way up through, like you mentioned, like fraternities and college. We get exposed to a lot of leadership, but what do you think is something common that is kind of just window dressing? It's just something a lot of people say, but it doesn't actually add any value.
0: When people talk about leadership and they just say, it's all about people skills. Absolutely it is. But there is like... A dissertation's worth of work that goes behind that, and and I think it's just so easy for people just to say, oh, you have to have good people skills to be a good leader. Yes, and <laughs> you really have to think about a whole bunch of nuances, and then you wrap all that around in the context of the relationship with the people, with the leader, with the organization, with the time frame, and what's happening in the world. So it's it's not so simplistic as you know you talk goodly to people and you're all good. That's it's that's part of it, but you know there's a whole other stuff going on there.
2: And so, I want to kind of dive into leadership as a principle a little bit more. And could you talk to, I guess, some of the secrets, like what makes good leadership? Are there specific qualities you can point to? Maybe specific exercises or ways that you treat people, or anything to do with leadership? You can take this in any direction you want, Steve.
0: Okay. Ooh, carpentry! I love it. <laughs> uh, so, I'll, I'll kind of share how I got to the point of writing my book, *Pride Leadership*, and and so. You know, I've been in the leadership space pretty much my whole career. So five years, it's been awesome. No, I'm just kidding. It's been like over 25 years. And in some way, shape or form, I played around in, in the space. And so you you see the, a lot of leaders coming and going. You know, it's one of the things that my company does. We coach leaders on stuff. And you can see the ones that are just like rocking and rolling and you see the ones that are crashing and burning and and you start to figure out like from a and I put my my doctor nerd hat on you start to watch the qualitative analysis like what's working for someone about 2 years ago i decided i wanted to write a book on leadership i was kind of collecting what i'm seeing for folks to work and and so uh, what i pared mine down to is and at one point i had like 38 post-it notes all over my office on the competencies that make a good leader and i'm like okay I can't write a 38 chapter book because people would be like, What the hell? And then people would be like, I'm not buying that. And the audiobook would be like 20 hours long. And I'm like, Nah, we're not doing that. So I really looked at it as what I'm seeing as the top six competencies that people really focus on in the 21st century workplace. And, and it's things about being authentic, it's, it's having leadership courage, it's engaging in empathy, it's being able to effectively communicate your strategies and your thoughts and your ideas, it's building relationships with those around you. And then an it's shaping the culture within the context of your world. And so those are the top six that I personally have seen folks who leverage them. They are rocking and rolling, some to different degrees, They're very intertwined. So you can't separate them, quite frankly. Like if you're being your authentic self as a leader, that takes courage to do that. And you're engaging with empathy with folks. So while I talk about them in my book in very discreet chapters, they're so gorgeously intertwined. And I think those are the top six that I've seen really, really elevate people to be more successful in their, their workplace and well, well, well beyond.
1: And I'd like to dig into one of those six that I think is super important to me. And, you know, what I've seen successful Whether it's, you know, businesses showing this or whether it's with working with customers and that's empathy. And especially like, do you have recommendations for people who, you know, they can't see themselves in that person's position because their positions are just so different, whether it might be their background, their current position in a company, whatever the case may be, but how do people get better at being empathetic?
0: It's a great question, Justin. You know, we can't just turn on an empathy switch and be like, I I get you. I see where you're coming from. But, you know, the number one way to, or the, there's two massive ways for people to, to really engage in empathy of, of I say the quote unquote other, meaning the other person, is to ask, you know, what's going on in your world and then to listen. And, you know, there's an old adage, Stephen Covey, the great, you know, leadership guru, blah, blah, blah. He has a quote, he says, we often listen to respond versus listen to understand. And it's so true. When you talk about effective communication, when you talk about engaging with empathy and rapport with somebody, it's not having that dialogue where you're waiting for your time to jump in and say what they should do. It's it's listening to them and saying, wow, that must be really hard for you, or, or, well, tell me more about that. And, and there's strategies that you can do as a leader To not just flex your empathy muscle, but really help engage the people around you to let them know that you are listening and you are empathetic and you're trying to see things from their perspective.
2: And we can bring empathy into this or we can bring in any of the other five qualities of an awesome leader. But I know, Steve, that you're a really accomplished entrepreneur. This is one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on because we do have a lot of people who, whether they're already business owners or they're potential or would be business owners, What are some of the tactical things you've done in your leadership positions to kind of take your companies to the next level?
0: The top one, and I I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but the listening part, asking questions and then stopping and listening. When I uh, worked at Disney years ago, I worked at the cruise line, which I have to say was like a sweet gig because my job was an internal leadership consultant that would go on board the ships and go to the island, Disney's Island in the Caribbean and just like teach leadership stuff, do executive coachings. And I mean, that was a sweet gig and I loved it. I learned so much on how to be an effective listener then. And I kind of pulled that into what I do with top dog learning group. My, my people are called top doggers. So my top doggers, I I want to listen to them because they're They're experts in what they do, and I'm not going to tell them how to do their job. I'm going to say, what can I do to support you? And then be quiet and then listen to the response. And I think that's probably one of the best things that's really helped shape my leadership success is just being smart enough to trust the folks who are doing the job and then listen to them, both what they need and what they need from me and what they need in order to do the job even more effective.
2: So I love that mentality, Steve. I love the kind of manager that trusts the people they hire instead of the micromanager who is always breathing over the shoulder of the person, whatever task they're assigned to. But the one problem with that is what if you hire the wrong people? And so the question for you is, how do you mitigate that risk? Like, how do you make sure that the person you're entrusting with all of this responsibility isn't going to completely screw up the company or mess up all these different tasks?
0: Cody, you actually said the magic word for leadership. I've had people and other interviews and other conversations I've had to like, you know, your book is 356 pages. Tell me how you could summarize that. I said, you know what? I could take this down book and put it on one page. And on that one page, there is one word that's your golden ticket to leadership success. It's trust. And if you can foster trust with your people, with your clients, with whomever, I mean, you are golden. And how do you do that? You, you build rapport with people. You, you, Yes, you do try to hire the right people, but on the same token, and, and we could so go down this rabbit hole, I talk a lot about unconscious bias, especially as it impacts your leadership success. So there's the old adage, like, likes, like. And so as someone who's hiring people, you want to be mindful not to like hire a carbon copy of Steve versus hiring somebody who maybe compliments Steve's. And so that's taking self-awareness on my part as a leader to be like, ooh, I'm really crappy at accounting. I better hire someone who's really awesome at accounting in order for our entire team to be more successful. So there's kind of that, that going on. But I, I think it's, you know, you have that trust. And if you you build that rapport with people so that when they succeed, trust is there, you can support them. When they're screwing up, you're like, okay, this isn't working. What can we do to change this? And notice I said we. It's not me telling you what to do it's you always have that mentality and if you're fostering trust throughout the entire business relationship then if it, get, it gets to that point where you know what this just isn't working out it's not a big surprise you know if you're having that conversation providing that feedback throughout the context of our relationship it shouldn't be a big shocker when it's like wow this just isn't working out you know and and, and hey i'll be honest with you i've been in situations internally when i was a uh, an employee where someone came up to me two years into our relationship business relationship and said you're just not working out or letting you go. And all I can say, what now? Like, that's a that's a 90-day thing. That's not a two-year thing. And that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> but I learned some great things from that experience as well. So that was kind of a good thing.
1: So Steve, one thing, or a couple of things that you mentioned there were, you know, the hiring process and then some biases that we might have. And I know a lot of companies have these kind of inclusion goals that they're trying to have. But as an employee, maybe someone not at that leadership position, you just can sometimes see this as a quota. But as the actual leader... How do you make it more than just a quote? Like, how do you actually foster inclusion?
0: Oh, fantastic question, Justin. So my first thing, and I I actually say this in my book, it's been my philosophy since day one, play with leaders. Leadership isn't about role. It's about your influence with those around you. So I can be an individual contributor at a business. I could be a a solopreneur. I'm a leader in all of these respects. So I I don't really separate the concept of, oh, you have people who report to you. Now you're a leader shenanigans. You, You were always a leader. So, with that being said, it's every leader's opportunity to foster inclusivity within their workplace. Even if you are the only person within your business, being inclusive means that you want people to feel that they are included. And, and there's the concepts of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. If you look at some of the the cool stuff out there, and that's one of the areas actually I consult in is is I use the phrase uh, being a consciously inclusive leader. So other folks say unconscious bias, which is great, but I was um, teaching a, a class one time, and um, this person was sitting in the back of the room, arms are folded, and you just knew they didn't want to be there. You could just smell it. And i was been a college professor, so, you know, I know who's a tourist in my class kind of thing, but kind of started going through my spiel. You know, I was talking about unconscious bias, and this guy goes, well... If it's unconscious bias, I can't do anything about it. So I'm done. And I was like, whoa. And, and so that's where I started flipping the phrase. It's not unconscious bias. It's being consciously inclusive. And kind of to get to your point, Justin, it's like, what can we do as leaders? And again, leaders, everybody, to be consciously inclusive. So it's looking at what's happening around us in the business. Little things like on our website, when we have an image of a family, what kind of family are we representing? Are we trying to be more inclusive in that, or are we doing the traditional, you know, middle-aged white male, middle-aged female, and maybe the two point five little kids around them? <laughs> or when I'm showing some sort of image of like um, my senior executive, does it immediately go to older white dude? And maybe changing that that dynamic there. So you can look at your marketing stuff. You can look at the stuff on your website. You can look at just even how you're phrasing your language. You know, when we're hiring people, we have all those intake forms, you know, you fill out all your stuff. Well, when I get to gender, what am I putting as my options? Is it male, female, or is it male, female, non-binary? I mean, there's all these different things we can do to really be inclusive in 2020. And so we as leaders just have to be mindful of looking at our own processes, the artifacts around us, and looking through those with a different lens saying, who are we excluding with this image? And what's the message that we're sending to those around us?
2: So one thing on inclusion I want to talk about, and this is because it's part—it's a huge part of the book, it's Pride of Leadership, it's Strategies for the LGBTQ Leader. Could you talk to leadership and maybe some of the advantages, some of the disadvantages, everything about leadership through the lens of the LGBTQ group?
0: Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is if you're a queer leader, you're much better than your straight counterparts. Just kidding. That's a complete <laughs> joke. And so I want to be, be blatant right there and say, I, I don't argue in my book that one group is better than the other because I have worked with both LGBTQ plus leaders. i work with straight leaders. They're all awesome. And well, or some of them aren't so awesome, but there's that. But what I do say in the book, you know, as I said, I was looking through what are the the competencies that I personally see in all the stuff that I do with with my clients that are really making people successful. And that's kind of the six that I shared earlier and then i was about to go and go down that path and write that book but i also started looking at the gay leaders meaning the general term gay not exclusionary and i started looking at the gay leaders around me and then uh, if y'all are familiar with sex in the city you know carrie bradshaw that back on hbo but she always started her column saying i couldn't help but wonder she's sitting there at her back and i honestly said well i can't help but wonder is there something about the the queer experience again using a general term That allows you an opportunity to flex your leadership muscles in the six competencies I talk about just a little bit differently than my straight brothers and sisters. So, for example, if you look at the general research out there, being an authentic leader is rock star awesome. You know, you build trust automatically. People will will follow you. They'll understand you. they'll, They'll understand what you're saying. I mean, in general, as a leader, if you're authentic, you're so much more successful than when you're not authentic. Okay, now let now put that through the lens of I'll be me a white gay dude. If I'm being my authentic self at work and I have a picture of my husband at 22 years on my desk and I don't watch my pronouns and I'm out at work and I, I bring myself in the workplace through that experience at that lens, that's powerful stuff. And that's something that I have to practice. Where my straight brothers and sisters, maybe they don't have to do it as much as that. You know, I often say that every client I meet, every new situation, every business sales call, there's some opportunity there to share my authentic self. Now, obviously, with my sub-brand as the gay leadership dude, it's pretty darn obvious who I am. But in other instances, it's not. And so that's just a different way for me to practice my authenticity, which I can then channel that skill into just being a more effective leader in general.
1: And so this is kind of swapping topics a little bit, but I really wanted to ask this question around things that you've seen with working with different clients, kind of the different types of businesses that you've worked with. Why is it that some sectors maybe are seeing a lot more growth than others and doesn't have anything to do with leadership? So obviously like technology companies, you got your Teslas and your Facebooks of the world are having these huge growths. And part of it is just because, hey, like it's it's kind of the new thing. But I have to imagine that part of it is they've just got some really great leaders. Is there something that these technology companies have figured out that maybe some of your more traditional businesses could really use some help on?
0: I think I don't know if it's necessarily the industry itself, but it's the makeup of the leadership. And there's tons of great studies out there. There's one that and I'm I'm not going to quote it exactly right. But there was one that was just published a couple months ago and it looked at gender in relationship to the success of the business. And it looked at um, over the course, of, I think 17 years, it looked at the Russell index and looked at all the businesses that are associated with that and those that had female CEOs or CFOs, and then compared them to their peers as far as your know, profitability and success rates. And they kept finding over and over again that the businesses that had women in one of those two, if not both of those senior C-level positions were, were outperformed the male counterparts. And so that's what you're seeing as different. And and in in the diversity and inclusion and belonging consulting world, which is one of the the areas I sit, we call this the business case for diversity and inclusion. And when you start to look at why organizations are are successful, they're engaging in diversity and inclusion for one of three reasons one because the law says i have to rats but you know there's that you know so i keep myself out of risk in jeopardy two it's the right thing to do we want to be inclusive because that's great you also build brand loyalty with certain populations all that good stuff but then three and that's kind of where this goes it does impact the bottom line and when organizations think about that the other two kind of follow in lockstep and, and i when i work with my clients we start there first because some people are in the room you're like well why do I have to hire more insert demographic here and it's it's because you perform better. Wall Street's showing that all the time. You know, and and those organizations that are embracing strategic marketing for outreach to various different populations and broadening their their understanding of being inclusive beyond, oh, we have blank month uh, and looking at things a little bit more broadly that way, those are the ones that are seeing success. And that just rolls out into longevity of their success versus the, you know, industry or blip in the market.
2: So I want to touch on resiliency for a second, because I think it's important for these times. I've seen so many businesses in my local town just go out of business, the restaurants, barbershops, all of these businesses that just couldn't survive the coronavirus shutdown. And obviously, it's a lot of that is demand. But I'm guessing that a portion of that has to be leadership or at least strategic planning. So could you talk about maybe some things that companies did right and some other companies did wrong during this shutdown?
0: I'll be completely transparent and tell you about my own business. Let's <laughs> because, do it. <laughs> uh, one of the things we do at Top Dog Learning Group is stand-up training. We're actually the certified leadership vendor for several big Fortune 500 companies. And we book a year in advance. So I have you know a six-figure contracts with these big, awesome clients I've had for years and years and years. Well, in March, all of them came back and said, Steve, we love you. We love your team. Y'all aren't coming to visit us anytime soon. We're like, oh. And so it's like, well, what do we do? And, and some of them were not ready to embrace learning technology, which is, you know, that's my doctorate. So that's another thing that I play with. But so what we did was, OK, cool. So what can we do now? And and so we're we're pivoting and I'm doing a lot more Zoom calls and virtual keynotes and things of that nature. Well, that, that wasn't existing in early 2020. People wanted me. I was booked up for like the entire month of June, of course, as the gay leadership dude tell, talking all my leadership stuff. Well, then all those stopped. So I was like, what do I do? And so I kept calling these these clients and, and these are like really awesome, big, cool clients. I was so excited to land and I'm like, let's do a virtual keynote. Here's the discount rate because now I have to schlep on an airplane score. And they're like, let's do that. And so you know, the resiliency, I think, is it does take leadership. It does take comfort with the unknown. And in my sordid past prior to starting Top Dog, I was also an IBM consultant. And one of my areas of focus was change management. And you look at change management, it's a process, but then there's the people part of it as well, and they work together. And so I focused on the people stuff. And part of that was understanding a human's reaction to change or their individual resilience to times of change. And that varies in different degrees for each human. We have a saturation point. Change gets to our fear center, quite frankly, and there's a whole cognitive nerdiness I could go down the path for. But you know, most people don't really like change and, and most people are uncomfortable with change. And so if you can get to that comfort level of that uncertainty, which is one of the the areas I help folks in, then you can be resilient and you can pivot. It it still feels icky, but you know that, you know what, five years ago, well, I started my business in 2008, really crappy time to start a business. (laughs) Yay. But I did and it survived and it thrived. and, And so for me personally, I'm like, okay, COVID, what the hell? And then it's like, well, 2008, Steve, you made it work. And so you just you think that perspective again and and so i know i could do it and therefore i could tell my team that we could do it and they're like okay cool we got this and and i think that's kind of how you approach resiliency is if you can, you pivot like some of these great restaurants. They're like, OK, well, we'll do takeout now or now we'll put everyone on the porch and and spread them all the way out. Cool. You know, those are smart things to do. And those are going to be folks who kind of come out on the other side of this. It's the folks who throw their hands up and say, change happened to me. And you know they're not going to be the ones that succeed on, on the other side.
1: And I kind of want to touch a little bit on some of those things that maybe you're teaching some of these large companies when you go in and talk about inclusion What are some of the categories that maybe either get overlooked or we just don't think about, whether it's a completely different category or maybe a subset category of diversity beyond just sex and race?
0: It's a great question. So when I think about um, defining diversity, there's, there's a bunch of models out there. The one I use is by these two awesome women, and they're both in LA, uh, Garden Schwartz and Rowe, Lee and Anita. And they came up with a, a way to organize the concept of diversity. So if you picture it, it's like a bullseye and there's five layers to it. So in the very dead center of the bullseye is personality. And so every single one of us, Justin, Steve, Every single human listening to this right now has a unique personality, and that will never be repeated for anyone else in the entire existence of humanity. And that's the cool thing. So we are all shiny little snowflake unicorns, whatever term you want, because of that personality. So there's that. Next layer out is what they call the internal dimensions. And these are the ones that people, quote unquote, typically think about when they think of diversity. It's race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, physical ability, gender identity. These are things that kind of stay pretty lock and solid throughout your lifetime. Physical ability, a little asterisk on that, because as I get older, stuff happens, you know, changes. Then the next layer out is what's called the external dimensions. And these are things that change quite often. Things like marital status, parental status, education, income, uh, social habits, recreational habits, that kind of stuff. And so, but that still contributes to how we look at the world through those lenses. You know, if you're a parent you look at the world very differently than those of us who aren't parents or those of us who are canine parents look at things differently than our feline parent friends or however you want to phrase it, you know, and and all that good stuff. Physical parents is in there too. So that could change, quite frankly, daily and depending on my mood and stuff. Then the next layer out is in context of an organization. So obviously that'll change with the groups that you're with, but let's say it's workplace. So that's like, and that's my organizational dimensions. And that's things like you know, am I exempt? Am I hourly, sourly? A manager? Not. Maybe if you're part of a mergers acquisitions situation, a legacy group, you know, because we had our own culture there. And now we're part of this the bigger culture. Those all impact the way you look at the world. My accounting friends, not to be stereotypical, but they might look at the world a little differently than my Salesforce friends. And, and so you have that as a unique perspective. And then the last layer out, is what they call the country of operation. So it's in the context of if I'm working in, say, Germany, and of course, I'm not stereotyping, but the German culture tends to be more timely. I know this because three of my biggest clients, they're all headquartered in Germany. I don't know how that happened, but they just are. So I know that timeliness is massively important to that corporate culture, but also the organizational culture. And so all those things impact How you look at things. So, with that being said, we want to make sure that we as leaders, we as organizations, don't just say that internal layer where it's race, ethnicity, gender, et cetera, et cetera, is the only thing we think about from diversity. They're absolutely important, and we want to honor that. But also having that different perspective of personality, or you know, introverts versus extroverts. And so, what I try to do first with clients, especially more clients who are just kind of going on their journey for diversity and inclusion and belonging, is help them understand that definition to start. Because we are all looking at things very differently, but I want to make sure that the internal dimensions are also represented, but some of those other dimensions like you know, veteran status or parental status or whatever status is there are also part of the mix for us to be more holistic in how we approach stuff.
2: So I love this messaging, Steve, and I understand how important diversity and inclusion is. But there's that saying that you attract people that are like you. And I've seen that in my own life. It's like, why am I friends with all these 20 something white dudes in the financial independent space? It's because <laughs> they're like me. I might not be I might sure. I might not have as much in common with a 55 year old woman. And so that's just kind of how it is. But as a company or as a business owner, how can you kind of reflect that in the company itself, so you start to attract people a little farther outside of that center bullseye that is you?
0: So one, Cody, kudos to you for having awareness of who your peeps are, because because <laughs> we do, we have a tribe, and we build those tribes. We you know like likes like, and we do gravitate toward those folks who are similar to us. And so going back to my my phrase, being a consciously inclusive leader. So we have the awareness, so kudos to Cody who does. So now it's, it's up to you to think, okay, so how do I make sure that I don't keep doing that? And so maybe it's reaching out to people who are, are different than I. And doesn't have to be like drastically other end of the spectrum. It could be that, oh, well, you know what? Maybe I need to find someone who's a different age or generation than me, or maybe someone whose ethnicity is not the same as mine or, or education or whatever that looks like. And so what I tell the clients that I work with when we used to meet in person, I have this whole one day workshop I do. I'm actually have it uh, turned it online. And one of the activities we do is it's called your best mates. And you think about like, who are the people like, and it's just real quick, real, real fast thing. You list out the top five people who are like, you could wave a magic wand to go get a, a adult beverage of choice or a coffee or tea. And it doesn't matter where in the world it would be. You just magically beam down and appear. Who are the top five people living that you take go? And you can't use a you know husband, wife, spouse, significant other kind of thing. So you like people write those, those five down, and then the next page is they do the demographic analysis. And of course, the big aha is typically, oh, crap, these are all like me. And, and yet yeah, that's fine. You're right. So it's what can you do to make sure that that doesn't happen or have that knowledge awareness to make sure that we start to consciously engage others who maybe aren't like us. And I teach that to, to bigger companies. I also say to the smaller or, or fellow entrepreneurs out there, you establish your corporate culture now when, when it's just you. And so being mindful of what that looks like as you start to grow and expand and hire more people, mindfully hire more people who maybe aren't like you or bring something different to the table so that you do have that diversity of thought, because that's what leads to innovation and success within the workplace, regardless of how big or small you are.
1: So we've been talking a lot about like how to do things the right way, but we also learn a ton from our mistakes and our failures. So I'm curious, like when you're working with somebody and you can take this down, the diversity or the leadership avenue, whichever one you want. But where you've seen somebody think they did it the right way, give themselves a gold star, feel proud and not even realize they've just missed the boat.
0: Well, I shall give an example that uses both. <laughs> so, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I was working with a large company, mid-ish size they were pretty good with the diversity and inclusion track. And I remember working at the, the kind of C-level and they are, to your point about Gold Star there, yeah, we even rolled out this new leadership initiative with diversity component. Woo-hoo. And one of the things I always approach every project I have with a client is any learning project, I approach it as a change management project. And whether the clients know it or not, I usually tell them, but they usually forget. But, you know, if you're going to change human behavior, you're not doing it in a, like a one-day class or even a one-hour workshop. And and I have clients who approach us because they're like, oh, Top Dog Learning Group, you're going to create learning for us, or you're going to give us the learning you already have. I said, yeah, but, you know, there's, there's a whole way that humans change behavior. And so I always start with, how will you know when it's successful? What's your measurement strategy? Like, oh, we got this, Steve. I'm like, okay, cool. Sign here that says you got this because otherwise I'm committing malpractice. Like we got it. So anyway, that's kind of what happened with this client. We create this really awesome blended approach. And this is several years ago, but it was like, you know, self-paced learning with like in-person meetings with their regional manager. And this is, we're talking the population size that we're rolling this out to was like 6,000 people across North America. So it's pretty good population. And so I kept saying, you know, what are we measuring? We got it. We got it. We got it. Well, we rolled it out. They're all like, yeah, we're rock stars. And then I'm like, so how's that measurement going? They're like, what now? And I'm like, oh. And so we had to kind of take that step back and be like, you know, you said you got this. Yeah, but we thought they got it. And they're pointing like to the opposite people in the room. And so, you know, those are the opportunities where this is how the executive coach in me always pops out. I'm like, okay, so what do we learn from that? You know, and you ask those honest questions, and you don't point fingers, you don't make someone feel stupid, and you say, okay, so now I know what we should do because that's you know my job, but I ask them. So what do you think we should do at this point? And you let them kind of come up with the answer. And a good leadership coach will maybe steer you toward different thinking, but you ask questions versus tell answers, and that's the best way to to kind of have that. Aha moment for the executives to be like, oh crap, Steve, why didn't you tell us? I said, Well, I did. And I'm not going to told you so that I did, but we're here now. So where do we go from here? And we figured it out and it was fine. And it's since been a very successful program. But it was that moment of aha for that senior, those senior executives that were like, oh, and you know, you don't make people feel stupid. You just say, okay, where do we go from here?
2: And how about when an employee's something about their diversity or something about their background is forcing them to clash with leadership in some kind of way? I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but maybe you have one, Steve. And how can a leader best handle that?
0: Yeah, actually, it is a really great question, Cody. So I've worked with a lot of organizations, especially when I'm doing leadership workshops or or me and my team are doing those. And you can just tell the people who aren't on board with some of the concepts we talk about and. Pretty much every organization we work with, big or small, they have their organizational values, you know, the things that are on the website, on the wall. And those are, you know, that's the 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 social contract, if you will, if you're an employee. There's the values you're supposed to do your work at. So there's that. Then there's the the lived values, as I call them. And so those this gets a little bit more squishy to understand, but you you work with organizations and you see, okay, there's the values, but are they real? Like what happens in the day-to-day operation, and so for example, back up years ago, I just joined an organization, and one of their stated values was we honor work-life balance. I'm like, yes, I'm on board with that. And then I, you know, a month goes by, and I'm I'm getting at work really early, like 7 a.m. because I'm an early person, and I'd leave around five ish. Well, people were still there working, and I'd leave. Well, finally, after a month of this. One of my teammates came over and said, Steve, you're leaving too early. I'm like, wait, what value work like balance. I was here at seven. I started the coffee maker. Come on. She's like, well, people at our level aren't supposed to leave till our bosses leave. I'm like, ah, shenanigans. See, that's that's a disconnect. But you have that. So there's a state of values, the real values. And then you have every individual has a value set. You know, Cody has one. Justin has one. Steve has one. Every listener has your own personal values. And if you don't know them, that's one of the things I talk about in my book, Pride Leadership, because that's about authenticity. And that's how you figure your, your kind of self out. And so during these workshops, I've had leaders who just were not on board with some of the concepts we talked about. And so I'd say, OK, let's stop. And and usually the the posters on the wall, the values, because the, the leadership's all around values-based leadership. I'm like, if you're not on board with these, because I know, having worked with this Fortune 500 company, pharma company, for like seven, eight years, like these are pretty much... What it is. Now, there's pockets, of course, and you have that in any large enterprise, but this is really how it is. And so, if you're a leader who's not comfortable with those values, then you have a conversation with yourself because corporate says this is how you're supposed to play with us. And if that's not aligned with your own person, you're not doing yourself any good. You're not doing the business any good. And maybe there's an opportunity for you to find a more like valued organization or you adjust your own attitude, and you kind of get in step. and And I think that's the best way to approach it. You allow people to self select, but you use the stated and agreed upon stuff that's in the organizational culture.
1: So, Steve, as we go through this, I can't help but think about like there's tons of awesome stuff that people could learn from this. Typically, in a non-corona world, like you would be coming in, leading these workshops. You got a ton of credentials, but a small business owner. I'm assuming probably can't afford you to come in and do these workshops. So like, what would you recommend for these, you know, whether they're working for themselves, very small businesses do to kind of upskill themselves in this arena if they can't bring in a consultant like yourself?
0: So, you know, and that's one of the things that I'm very mindful of with the groups I work with. You know, I work with a lot of nonprofits as well. And even though they're like really big, awesome nonprofits, they don't have a lot of money either. So you have the various degrees of folks. I mean, there's a lot of self-learning. I know, like we have a, a, a online leadership program that's actually built upon the the six competencies I talked about. It goes through the book, which is not just for for gay people. Our allies are more than enjoying my awesomely bad dad jokes that are incorporated in the book. And when my editor read it for the first time, she's like, "Okay, Steve, I'm a white cisgendered straight woman." I'm like, "Oh gosh, Heather." She's like, "This is the book I wanted in my MBA program." I'm like, Ooh, "Why?" <laughs> And she's like, it's really well researched, but it's really cheeky, funny. I'm like, dad jokes. And she's like, yes. And so that was my goal because I've written enough academic crap that, you know, they're really nice and academic-y, but they're not relatable and people won't remember that stuff. So, you know, there's that. But there's a lot of great online programs that entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small business owners can kind of engage in. You can look locally as well to your chamber of commerce. Usually they have some really great resources they can point you in from a local perspective. But also there's just like a ton of books that really can help folks find their leadership voice and find the one that kind of works for them. And quite honestly, if, if someone wants to shoot me an name, and ask me some books. I mean, they made fun of me when I wrote my book because my, my bibliography was like, I think 18 pages long. They're like, you're such a nerd. I'm like, yeah, I'm paying for that student loan. So I might <laughs> as well use it.
2: And I know Justin just alluded to what you do, but I just love we could quickly go over like how Top Dog came to be and like what inspired you to do that <laughs> or gave you even the confidence to go out and start something like that by yourself.
0: So actually, it didn't start by myself, which is the ironic part. It's when I started Disney Cruise Line. My, who is now one of my best friends, mentor. But I was taking her job, and as an internal leadership consultant. And we were on board of the ships, and I was kind of shadowing her. And she kind of looked at me. She's like, "We need to have dinner." I'm like, "Well, we're on a ship for seven days. Of course, we're gonna have dinner." She's like, "No, no, no. We're gonna talk business." So we sat down, and she's like, "We need to start a business." I'm like, "We have jobs." She's like, "No, no, no. Uh, we're like the perfect chief learning officer together between the two of us." I'm like, "Cause she's a little higher executive kind of thing." And. So we talked about it and then we went to our senior HR executive at the cruise line and said, hey, here's what we want to do. She's like, fantastic. Thank you for coming to me. Don't use Disney stuff. Don't do it on Disney time. Good luck. And we're like, cool. So we started this part time business and it was fun. It was more like let's meet once a week and drink a bottle of wine and figure out how we can conquer the training world. And but we built the infrastructure and we had a couple of nice clients and it paid for some cool stuff. And then in 2000 and late in 2007, I actually got fired from a job. It's the one where I kind of alluded to after two years of like, this isn't working out. Florida is a right to work state. I still to this day have no idea why, but it is what it is. The same person I just shared said, hey, I got fired on a Monday. Monday night, she happened to call me. and She's like, I have news for you. I'm like, you know, funny, I have news for you. And so she came over for dinner like the next night. My Husband made us dinner. And I said, what's your news? She's like, hey, I'm moving to Paris to run, you know, a Disney University over there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's great. She's like, what's your news? I'm like, I got fired. I have no idea why. She's like, well, come with me. I'm like, what? She's like, well, come with me for a week. You speak French. You can help me kind of settle in. You can, you know, she's bring her beautiful chocolate lab, like 120 pounds. So like, you can help Potter, which was his name. You can help Potter settle in. And my husband's like, Why don't you go for a couple months and I'll just collect you at Thanksgiving? I'm like, what? <laughs> so I moved to France for a couple months. And it was, it was like the coolest sabbatical, getting out of your own head. And, you know, that's what I'm like trying to figure out. Do I apply for this job, that job? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I have an infrastructure already. It's a part time. I just got a full throttle at full time. And so I kind of took it. On my own in 2008, and that's kind of how it existed. Eventually, I had to fire Ruth, (laughs) quote unquote, um, just because there's Disney contracts I was after, and she was still like an executive of the company. I'm like, this doesn't look good. She's like, no, it doesn't. Fire me. I'm like, I will. So (laughs) she's now, since one of my my consultants because she's no longer part of the company, and that's just kind of how it worked. And it's been I've been really fortunate. I have some great clients. I never had to advertise until about like two years ago when I decided I wanted to like conquer the market. But I've had some clients that have been with me since 2008, and they're just like, keep coming back for more. And hopefully that they're, they're enjoying our time. And matter of fact, one of them just reached out to me last week and said, we need you again, because that three-day conference we were doing, we're not doing it. Can you help us turn it into something else? I'm like, sure, we can do that. So uh, that's kind of how it started. And and it's I find like-minded businesses who have aligned values I believe in business karma. You put some good stuff out there. Sometimes you do pro bono work and that's totally fine. It works out for you. And business karma is a thing. And if people are listening and don't believe in that, you need to rethink that because it really is a thing.
1: So Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show today. This has been some awesome content. It's definitely a unique angle that we haven't had on the show before, but we couldn't cover everything. So if people want to get more information about you or maybe the book, where's the best place to do that?
0: Yeah, a one-stop shop would be topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z, because we're old school. You'll see all sorts of ways to get in touch with us. You actually can see my, my calendar there if you want to grab a pro bono 15 minutes to kind of say hi. And we're actually doing a free plus shipping book offer. So you'll see that that at the top where you can get pride leadership free of charge. You just got to pay for the shipping and handling domestic places only, unfortunately, but that's the best way to get hold of me.
2: Awesome. That sounds like some awesome bonuses, Steve. I'm sure some of our listeners will take you up on that. And one question we like to ask all of our guests, what is your number one tip for those on the path to financial independence?
0: You know, I really thought about this as I was kind of researching and listening to other, other folks. And I'm going to go back with my own personal values. And you, know, people often say, you find what you're passionate about and, and do that as your business. And I would say, yeah, but <laughs> uh, I think I think you absolutely need to do that. I think that's the fuel for that that engine to keep you going. But you also need to consider who are you passionate about? So not just what, but who. Is it helping entrepreneurs be financially independent? Is it helping, in my case, you know, the LGBTQ community be more successful in their leadership world? Is it just helping nonprofits? Who is the group that you want to kind of play with and who you're passionate about helping them be successful? And then the, the third part of that three-legged stool is... You know, what are they passionate about? And I think if you think about it as those three interconnected, it's not just about you, my dear friends. I'm sorry, it's not. But to be successful in business, you have to find out who's the population, what are they excited about? And and that's kind of the sweet spot I think that really can lead to some some great financial awesomeness.
1: Awesome insight, Steve. And now we get to that last and final question. It is the wild card question. It's one that I wasn't prepared for. You could hear me and Cody trying to figure out who's going to ask it. So Cody's not prepared for it. I know you're not prepared for it, but are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. <laughs> okay. So we've been talking a lot about leadership today. And I know we said that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like managing people or in a, what we, most people think is a leadership position, but I want you to think about when you have been in a leadership position and you were in one of those situations where people say, you know, you just got to fake it till you make it. Like you did not know really what was going on. You didn't really know the right answer, but you were just kind of out there winging it, hoping no one caught on. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, it's funny. Uh, and it, and it's a really awesome question. And The first thing that pops in my head, it it, it was a little bit further in my leadership game, but it was the first time I was in charge of I was in charge of, like, a team of, I think it was, like, nine consultants. They were all making six figures. Like, this was, like, high-end consulting group. And they put me as the leader. And, and one, it was the first time I, I was actually a leader of something where I didn't have to produce anything. All My job was just to lead the team. I'm like, I, I have no deliverables? This is just so weird. You are talk about, like, I'm not used to that. And then um, and some of them were were so much more savvy than I was, quite frankly, and I, and I knew that. And so the best piece of advice I could give anybody in that situation is... And, and I, I know we, we've talked about it earlier, is to ask good questions and then listen to their answers. And, and you could ask those questions like, you know, hey, Cody, what do you think about this? And Cody does his expertise and shares. And I can do a follow up and say, well, why do you think that? And, and that's that's not being ignorant. That That's just being a good leader. And I'm getting two things out of this. When I ask that question, one, I'm getting trust from Cody. And then two, guess what I'm learning? Yes. And so you can start using those strategies. I mean, people underestimate the opportunity to ask good questions, those open-ended probing questions. They are, they are such a golden arrow in your quiver of leadership. Don't forget to use them.
2: Again, thanks so much, Steve, for coming on. You have just shared so much wisdom on this podcast. You are clearly a top dog in the leadership space, no pun intended. I know you had a little bit more time this year because of COVID and because of all your speaking engagements. But the one positive thing that did come out of that was that we got a spot booked with you and you came on the Fi Show. So thanks so much for your time.
0: (laughs) Thank you much, guys, for all that you do. And uh, to everyone out there, lead on rock stars.
2: Definitely learned a few things from this episode, Justin. And I noticed that some of these things are things that I still struggle with myself. Like I am always constantly trying to be a better listener, but I do always catch myself just listening to respond. And I know Steve talked a lot about how important being a good listener is. If you're a leader, a leader isn't someone who's barking orders. It's not someone who's telling everyone what to do. It's someone who can see a problem from a really high level and then kind of orient and point his people, his best people or her best people in the right direction to get that job done. What'd you think about the episode?
1: Yeah, Cody, got to echo a lot of the same things you're talking about. I mean, you know, he says that you should listen to understand, not just to listen to respond. And sometimes I find myself struggling with that, whether it's in day-to-day life or even with this podcast, because, you know, you're sitting there and you really want to come up with some really good questions. So sometimes it's hard to really listen to everything because you're sitting there battling in your own head, like, is that a good question? Is that a good question? And like you said, it makes a good leader when you are actually listening and that helps you be empathetic. It helps you understand where the person's coming from. But I think to go along with that, another thing he said was that everyone's a leader. So some people could be listening to that and say, well, you know, I'm not in a leadership position. I don't really need to work on that that much. In reality, you know, he says that everyone is in a leadership position because everyone is kind of impacting the way someone else's career goes because you're impacting their day-to-day life. You're impacting the work that they perform and the work that they perform kind of leads into how their career goes. So in a way, like everyone is kind of impacting, you know, employees at the business they work at, whether they are directly in charge of them or not.
2: I think another really important key factor was the trust thing he was talking about. And I see this in a lot of people who have been leaders to me or when I've been in a leadership role, having trust and not micromanaging the people that you're working with or people who are working under you is so crucial to having a team that really moves quickly. Because if you're someone who is micromanaging every single person under you or to the side of you, whatever, you're going to move at a snail pace compared to a leader who can put the people in the right positions from the get-go and let those people roll with it. Like They might have an awesome skill set in marketing or in technology or in sales or whatever, name your skill, but if you get the right person in that spot from the beginning – then you don't have to be sitting over their shoulder making sure they're not making mistakes. And Steve was talking about that, like really feel and make sure you are making the right hire for whatever position that might be. Or if you're pulling someone onto your team, make sure you're putting the people in the places where they have the most strengths, because that's when you can really start to get projects done quickly, efficiently, and you won't have to be breathing over someone's neck, making sure they don't completely tank the whole business.
1: I think that really ties also into a big thing we talked about, which is making something inclusive. And, you know, he says like the first step of doing that is just being conscious that you do have some biases, like everyone has some biases and where that can kind of shoot you in the foot. Not only is it just wrong in the first place, but it can be bad for business. And like you mentioned, by hiring the right person in the right place, you need to understand that you need to find people who are different than you because those people can fill in the voids that you have. So you don't need to hire a bunch of people who are just like you, because then sure, You'll have a bunch of those same strengths, but you'll also have a lot of copies of that same weakness.
2: Yeah, and Steve was pulling out some interesting stats about companies who were more diverse, like they were more profitable. They had better longevity. There was all these different things and studies that have researched this, that the more diverse the company is, the better that company is going to do. And obviously, it makes intuitive sense. Like if it's just excuse me, for example, a bunch of mid 20s white guys, there's no women on the team, no people of color on the team, we're just completely missing those markets. We don't know how people in our exact situations think, or maybe the way that they want to be talked to. And so once you get people from all these different communities, and one of the craziest things to me, Justin was like, I didn't even understand all these different layers of diversity because there's like your inside bullseye of diversity where it's like gender, sexual orientation, race, things like that. The normal things you think of, quote unquote, normal things you think of when you think of diversity. But then you get like a couple rings out and he's talking about like, hey, is it all just married people on the team? Maybe you should have some single people on the team. Like there are so many different layers to this diversity spectrum that I mean, I was totally blind to them until Steve started bringing them up. But I think that's really important to notice and understand. Like, Look around at the people you're working with. Look around at the people on your team and your company, whatever. And if there's a lack of diversity there, do anything in your power to change that because it will make your business more profitable whether you're working on a small team or you're an entrepreneur.
1: And now it's time for the call to action. So the call to action this week, Cody, is just to be a better listener. And again, focus in on that phrase to listen to understand, not just to respond. So when you're listening... Don't worry about if you have the greatest question, follow-up question to ask in the world. Just try to make sure you really understand where they're coming from. And then your responses will honestly probably just be more questions to dig deeper into what they're saying and not just to make some other response that either doesn't have anything to do with what they just said or is just disagreeing with what they just said, but is actually leading you down a path to understand more of what they just said.
2: Gotta say, Justin, this is a call to action I am seriously going to start working on because I know it's a weakness of mine. Sometimes I'm just listening and I'm like, crap, I didn't hear what this person said for the last five minutes because I was just itching to ask that one question I had. So it's definitely something I'm working on. Hopefully you listeners, the Five Show listeners are also working on all these skills we have in our call to actions. And I know Steve shared a wealth of knowledge on this podcast, and this guy is incredible. He does so much stuff. And everything we talked about in today's episode and all of the links to his book to his website, to all of his resources can be found at thefyshow.com Steve. That's thefyshow.com Steve. And as always,
1: if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.